I lift up these individuals because some you can see on camera and some you cannot. And you may not know that for some nine plus months now, our team has been working so hard to continue to bring you a worship experience that matters, that has meaning, that creates worshipful moments in your life. Even if you're watching this on a television, on a computer, on a TV in your kitchen, on your phone, waiting for your Starbucks coffee, wherever you might be right now, or even if you're watching later in the week, we are working hard to bring you an experience that will encourage you and uplift you in times that can be so challenging. Let us know online how many of you have had ups and downs during this pandemic and all of the social unrest and all of that, right? How many people will have good days and then the next day may not be so good and then you wonder how to wrestle with that? Well, today's message is called You Are Not Alone, and that's part of the scripture passage, is sharing with us this time of year that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter where you are situated in the midst of this pandemic, whether you're doing just fine or whether there are days that aren't so fine, this message is about not being alone. It's the story of the Annunciation, Gabriel telling Mary that she is to bear a son, and it is the story of two unlikely women who are bringing sons into a complex world and what God has told them, which is that you are not alone. This is a historic passage that has been read in churches all across the globe for 2,000 years from the first chapter of Luke. And if it weren't for Luke, we would not know much about Mary's early years. Did you know that? That some of the other gospel writers preferred not to talk about Mary's early years. But Luke goes into great detail. And this is a scripture passage that is read during Advent in Catholic and Protestant churches all over. So if the story sounds familiar, it is. It is because it's been read for thousands of years. And our task today is to find a way to bring it home for you in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of whatever might be going on for you this particular Advent and Christmas season. And the story goes like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. You might recall we talked about Joseph last week. The virgin's name was Mary. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And it goes on. It said, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And after hearing more from the angel Gabriel, Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. The story goes on. 
In those days, wrote Luke, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in Elizabeth's womb leapt. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed in a loud cry, which will sound familiar to anyone who has had Catholic training. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Let us know online if you've heard that before. If you had some Catholic training in your background and you've heard, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then Elizabeth goes on, For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And Mary then goes on and says, in what is known as the Magnificat, the most ancient hymn that we have during this Advent season, Mary goes on and said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant, Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has great, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him, meaning in awe of him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We wanted to share that song with you today because God is still rolling stones. It's a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for where we are. And it's a metaphor for what's happening in this story and in this message about not being alone. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, yesterday, as I was finishing up this sermon and in the midst of the pandemic doom and um, Zoom and all of that, I started receiving messages that sermon saves the day. Sermon saves the day kept coming across on my text. And our local clergy group that was talking about sermon messages during the pandemic, we got so excited We're like a sermon that saves the day. What can this possibly be? We have to get a copy of this. Who can tell me? Drop it in the comments online about the sermon that saved the day yesterday, right? I actually had to look this up. I know. I'm, I know. I'm in Ohio and I need to do a better job, right? Of keeping track of those OSU games, but it's Advent, right? But if you don't know, if you're like me and you didn't know, when you saw the news that sermon saves the day and you were thinking liturgically and, and prophetically and you didn't get the fact that it was Trey Sermon who gained the most yards in football history yesterday in an OSU game leading OSU to the national championship. So, OH. All right. And not only that, I mean, thank goodness we've all kept our sense of humor during this pandemic, right? Because not only that, did you hear about the naked guy rollerblading in traffic? 
in, on 670. I mean, I couldn't stop laughing. And I looked at that and I thought, me thinks someone lost a bet. I don't know that that was planned. Well, thank goodness we have all maintained our senses of humor as we dare to endure during this time of separation. As we wait for the COVID vaccine and the day when we can all gather again in person in this sanctuary on the kickball field for meals after a church and our meetings and our gatherings and the fellowship meal at the largest table and our work with the homeless and marginally housed. There's so many ways we've had to pivot during this pandemic. And so there's just a lot to be thankful for, hopeful for. And most importantly, we have not lost our ability to laugh. Can I get an amen? Well, today's amazing Advent story is told every year in churches across the globe. And I'm reminded that some of you may have heard this story from the time you were young. It's extremely familiar to you. And others of you may be hearing it for the very first time. But this story features some of the best known characters in the Bible. You have the angel Gabriel. You have Joseph's earthly father, or uh, Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, and we heard about him last week. You have Jesus's mother, Mary, and then Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother, and we'll learn more about Mary and Elizabeth later this week as well. The first chapter of Luke is quite a narrative. And as I mentioned when I read the passage, if it weren't for Luke's gospel, we actually would know very little about Jesus's mother, Mary. There were folks who preferred not to share some of the things that were happening. Mary learned from the angel Gabriel that she would bear a child, a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, which was a nice way of saying that Mary was pregnant without a husband. That was a societal scandal at that time in history. She could have been stoned to death for that. But as you heard in the song that was just sung, that God's still rolling stones and nothing is impossible with God. But it is interesting to me that there were some inauspicious things about Jesus's conception and entry into this world that give, that, that give me hope. Mary's life was messy, right? It wasn't perfect, even as much as we've tried to make that sentimental and nostalgic in um, the centuries that have followed. If we really dig into this story, Mary's life was far from perfect. And that is how Jesus chose to enter the world. That gives me hope. Well, I was thinking about the characters in the story and especially about the angel Gabriel, who doesn't get a lot of attention after this. And I thought about Stella, who you saw in the Advent video um, as her family lit the Advent candles today, because she sent me just this wonderful Christmas card. Um, We used it for a Facebook announcement about this service today. And it just reminded me of how kids see things, how they interpret things, how sometimes we tell them things, especially about Bible stories, and they kind of look at it a little bit differently. So I wanted to share with you some true thoughts that children have expressed about the angel Gabriel and about angels. So Gregory, age five, said, and these are true, he said, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. The lesson that day was about the angel Gabriel. He said, well, I know about Hark and Harold, but I don't know about Gabriel. 
Olive, age nine, said, well, actually, everyone's got it all wrong. Angels don't wear halos anymore. She said, I forgot why, but the scientists are working on it. Matthew, age nine, you can tell these are from a Sunday school class, right? Matthew, age nine, said, you know, it's not easy becoming an angel. First, you die. Then you go to heaven. Then there's still that flight training to go through. And then you have to agree to wear those angel clothes. Mitchell, age seven, said, angels work for God and watch over kids when God has got to go do something else. That's why we have angels. But my favorite response from the Sunday school class about the angel Gabriel was from Caitlin, age nine. And Caitlin said, my angel is my grandma who died last year. She got a big head start on helping me while she was down here on earth before she went to become an angel. I like that. Reminded me of people in our congregation like John Boyle, Liam's grandfather. We miss him this year. We miss him. But it's nice for kids sometimes to think about their grandparents who passed away being their angels. Well, long ago, in a remote corner of earth, God broke into our world. Mary was pregnant with a baby. A baby who would change the world. A God-given baby who caused her to sing, as I said, something called the Magnificat, our most ancient Advent hymn. It was a revolutionary hymn that we preach and sing each Advent before Christmas. And we have to remember, we have to be careful that we don't make this too sentimental and nostalgic because this was a revolutionary Advent hymn. What we learn today from Luke's story is that young Mary is neither silent nor passive in the Bible. She sings loudly and persistently. And she keeps singing. Despite her dirt poor, which is what lowly means in Greek, she was dirt poor, she was pregnant, unmarried, and she had a messy life. I love the fact that she kept singing her truth, even though her life was messy. How many of us think we have to wait until we're perfect or fully healed or that we've corrected every impediment in our life before we can sing, before we can share our truth? I like the fact that Mary's life was messy as Jesus prepared to enter her life and make her a mom. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, was not meek and mild, even though I know we like the the hymn that talks about that every year. She actually was not meek and mild. She was a courageous songwriter and a brave activist, and she sang a revolution in this passage. So, if we take a step back and say, what led to Mary's song in the Gospel of Luke? Because really, she had every reason to be frightened and confused by the angel's pronouncement. Have any of you had an angel come to you in the middle of the night and tell you that your whole life's going to be changed? But... In the midst of her confusion and her questioning, she's a young, unwed girl. She has this um, very confusing encounter with the angel Gabriel. Mary hears of her much older cousin's Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. And she's told by the angel that nothing is impossible with God. So Mary ponders this and then replies in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Here am I, the servant of the Lord, Let it be with me according to your word. And that is Mary's response to God's revolutionary proposal. Let it be with me according to your word. 
Mary's response is not submissive or docile. The gospel describes her throughout as a strong woman. Her let it be is brave and fully engaged. She's been invited to partner with God and she is all in. Let's do this, she's saying. She said, she's saying, let's make this happen. Let it be. But above all, Mary's response, if you read the text closely, her response is defiant. It's spoken in defiance of all the other words around her trying to lead her and us in a different way. Mary's response defies all who claim that the impossible cannot happen because it can and it does over and over. Let us know online. Have you had something impossible happen in your life that you didn't think was possible, but it became possible? Let us know online. Share some of your miracles. I know that some of you have them. Let us know online where the impossible became possible with God. But the text goes on to talk about how Mary, in her pregnancy, conquers her inner doubts and she heads to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And again, some of you have heard this story all your lives. You're tuning out. You're going to get an additional cup of coffee and a Danish. Others of you are hearing it for the very first time. And if you're hearing it for the very first time, or if you have become you know, very familiar with the story, you may not know how weird and amazing it was for these two women at this point in time in history. This is why I love sharing this story every year at this time. And you may not know how good it was that Mary gave these two women to each other. Their crazy lives were actually oddly similar. Elizabeth was totally, totally isolated in seclusion by this point in this story. And Mary was quickly going to be ostracized when the reality of her belly full of God but no husband grew under the scornful gaze of the small town. And it is quite a beautiful thing that they had each other. Young Mary seemed to know that old Elizabeth would understand when Mary arrived because Elizabeth had been pondering her own unlikely and weird miracle. So just a moment here, a little teaching about Elizabeth. She was a descendant of the Hebrew people's first high priest, Aaron. She was married to a priest named Zechariah. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were a deeply religious couple. Now, Elizabeth was also pregnant for the first time in her life, and she would also face ridicule, but the source of her social torment would be age. There would be people who whispered to their friends, isn't she too old to have a baby? I think in current times, do you remember that woman who became a surrogate for her daughter and she faced a lot of ridicule? Like, isn't she too old to have a baby? And isn't that a weird way to have a baby? Rather than celebrating the fact that this barren couple was able to find a way scientifically to actually have a baby. People can be awfully cruel sometimes. But Elizabeth was six months pregnant with a son who would become John the Baptist. And Elizabeth's child will play a pivotal role in Mary and her child's life. And together, these women and their sons will change the world. We're still talking about these two men 2,000 years later. But Elizabeth and Mary are quite a revolutionary pair. One of them is too old to be a mother. The other is too young. But both of them in the hand are in the hands of God as are we. No matter our circumstance today, no matter how you're situated today, you are all in the hands of God, and that is hopeful. 
I share this quote every year from N.T. Wright because I think it is so important for us not to miss this moment in the liturgical cycle. It says, God's purposes and plans are first revealed in a private meeting between the two, between two women at the edge of society. That is revolutionary. That is revolutionary. God's purposes and plans were not revealed in a big, awesome sanctuary or political leaders or people who were quite wealthy or et cetera, et cetera. God's purposes and plans are first revealed in a private meeting between two women on the edge of society. That is radical theology. That's what we call liberation theology. Well, these two pregnant women, one of them is too old, the other is too young. They are given to each other by God. And the angel has said to Mary, in this story, you are not alone. Elizabeth has also conceived a weird Holy Spirit baby, and you will have each other as you make this journey. So Mary makes haste, it said, to the hill country, uh, a brave journey if there ever was one while pregnant. And then there's a tender scene when Mary arrives. There's an exquisite embrace between the two women, one pregnant with the message and the other pregnant with the messenger. Mary is carrying the message And Elizabeth is carrying the messenger. Remember that, that John the Baptist announces Jesus' arrival? But it's one of my favorite images in art. What's called the visitation of Mary and Elizabeth. You'll see it in historical art going back centuries. You could say on that day that there were actually only two Christians in the whole wide world. Mary and Elizabeth. They greet each other. And they confess their faith because Elizabeth was the first to call Jesus her Lord. And then John the Baptist does. I like to share this slide every year. Anyone who's ever been involved with someone who's pregnant, you know how everyone always asks you to feel the baby kicking? Everyone's always like, can you feel the baby move? And I always love the image that during this exquisite embrace that John the Baptist in baby, as when he's a baby, does, and he's in utero, he does what may be the first liturgical dance when he leaps in Elizabeth's womb. I know this is a different way to think about it for some of you, especially if you've been raised in a, in a different kind of environment. But I like the fact that we see the first Christian liturgical dance in this story. And then Mary sings this revolutionary hymn about God's mercy and the upturning of the social order. I think you've got liturgical dance. You have singing. This might very well have been the first Christian worship service. Now, some of you may think that's a stretch. But I like thinking about some of these ancient stories in new ways so that we can grapple with them today. So the story goes on that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for for three months. And we can imagine them laughing and eating and embracing and, and laying around telling stories as their bellies become big. And it reminds me of our church dinner parties, the ones filled with lots of laughter and full bellies and stories of awkward and the impossible and filled with authentic bonding. It helps me remember during the pandemic that shadows this advent, these kind of stories remind me that we have to remember that it's almost an advent gift, right, that the vaccine is coming. Have you thought about that as we wait during advent, that the vaccine became known during advent? I know it's not a perfect fit, 
But getting the news that the vaccine is coming during Advent, for me, became an Advent gift that the virus will be defeated. Like polio and measles and smallpox and other plagues, it will be defeated. We've lost too many people and we're going to lose too many more. And many of you have become ill and some of you are recovering and some of you it's taken a long time. But this reminds me that we've been given this Advent gift. Something new, the vaccine is coming. But this story also reminds me, perhaps more importantly, that the Advent season each and every year is about community and connection, even if that occurs in unexpected ways. Because think about it. How good is it that God gave Mary and Elizabeth to each other during this tender time? God was telling them that you are not alone in your pregnancy. You are not alone in your journey. You are not alone in the messiness of your life. In God's mercy and in the gospel passage today, we see that God gives Mary and Elizabeth two things that they each lacked at this point in their lives. Community and connection. And that's how you build a real revolution with community and connection. Because together, Elizabeth and Mary would announce and birth a new world order. A new world order that we are still talking about, we're still trying to achieve and trying to live into 2,000 years later. And this same community and connection is true of us today. We are given to each other, even here in this now freezing sanctuary, um, filled with our worship team, which are just a few, right? But the same community and connection are still true of us today. We are given to each other. We are not alone. Even if we are physically remote, we are not apart from each other. Technology and ingenuity have kept us connected. Let us know online that you are still here with us, that you are still connected with us. Even though you are watching on a device somewhere, let us know that you're here. Because this time of year, we are reminded in our songs, in our liturgy, and in our preaching that God is with us. That's literally what the word Emmanuel means. God is with us. So remember how Elizabeth says in this passage that blessed is she who believed God's promises. We too have a promise that Jesus shared with us. He said where two or more are gathered, he is with us. Where two or more are gathered. Now during a pandemic, we've been challenged to think about what does that mean? What does it mean when we say two or more are gathered during a pandemic? Well, I'm going to say that where two or more are gathered, whether it's through a computer screen or a Zoom call or a telephone line or six feet apart in a park or in your garage or your back door at the end of your driveway, I would say Jesus is there. The bonds of our community may have been stretched thin during this pandemic, but they are strong and they will not break. They might be stretching, but they won't break. Where two or more are gathered, however that might be, and even during a pandemic, Jesus is there. But I do have to offer a word of caution as we study this scripture passage. Because Mary and Elizabeth being together did not protect them from pain in life. I hope you see that as the Gospels go on. 
The story of these two mothers-to-be does not necessarily have a happy ending for the moms. Both of their sons met tragic deaths. Elizabeth's son was executed and Mary's son died on a cross between two thieves. And both sons were still young men when they died. Can you imagine the heartache of these mothers? But we know that to bring a baby into this world implies risk. You can love something so, so much that the risk of loss becomes almost unbearable. And some of you know about that loss. Some of you have lost children. And it can bring indescribable pain. And at such times, it's almost like all we can do is believe in God who loves us and whose care is eternal. So I wanted to share with you by request a story that is more contemporary perhaps about the loss of a child it's a true story about marie pemberton who lost her beloved four-year-old son jeremy to leukemia he was only four we have a member of our congregation who also lost a son at a young age and his name was jeremy so she always appreciates when i tell these stories and mention jeremy But Marie Pemberton lost her beloved four-year-old son to leukemia, and he died in June. And that year, as Christmas approached, the pain of loss was still heavy on Marie's heart. She stood at her kitchen window and would stare out at the snow. And when she did, she saw Chris Martin, Jeremy's little friend, rolling snowballs and playing in the snow. And, And she thought to herself, you know, Chris has been alone since Jeremy died. He always has to play by himself now. And Marie Pemberton will tell you that she hadn't been much comfort to the lonely boy. Her grief was so intense that she could barely look at Chris because her own son was gone. When Chris would come to the backyard and to the fence in between their backyards trying to get her attention, she ignored him and she would go back inside. One day, when she could no longer avoid the little boy who lived next door, And she could no longer avoid the question that he asked her, which is, where is Jeremy? Marie mumbled, ask your mother, Chris, and went back inside. And after that, Chris didn't want to talk to Marie anymore. Instead, he would avoid her too, and he would stay in his own yard and play. So as Christmas approached that year, Marie was not in the holiday spirit. She didn't want a tree. She didn't want to decorate. Her world was just too bleak without her little boy. And two weeks before Christmas, Chris's mother, Ellie, Ellie Martin, and this is a true story, so they always break my heart just a little bit. Two weeks before Christmas, Ellie Martin came to the door. Chris's mother came to Marie's door and said, Marie, come over to our house and look at our tree. I know you haven't decorated this year, so just come and look at our tree. And I've got something else that you have to see. Marie's husband insisted that she get off the couch and go over to the neighbor's house. She wondered what she would say to the little boy, Chris, but he wasn't there. So Marie followed Ellie to the Martin's basement den where the newly decorated tree stood in all of its magnificence. And Ellie said, doesn't this help give you the Christmas spirit? And Marie struggled with that. But then Ellie said, now see this. 
as she led the grieving mother to the nativity scene and pointed to two baby figures tucked under a blanket in the manger. And Ellie said, My son Chris said that these are baby Jesus and Jeremy. Ellie's eyes watered as she continued. She said, Last summer, when you sent Chris over here to ask me about Jeremy, all I could sputter out, all I could think of to tell him was that Jeremy had gone to heaven to be with baby Jesus. So this afternoon, when I placed the Christ child in the nativity crib, Chris ran and got a doll and tucked it right in beside the baby Jesus and pulled the blanket up. And when I asked him why, four-year-old Chris reminded me of what I had said last summer, that Jeremy is with Jesus. And it sounded so right. And one mother was saying to the other, Jeremy with Jesus. I know for our church member who has lost to Jeremy, this is an important story. For others of you, you may or may not know this pain, but I know that you can hear this story of two mothers. Marie's mind raced, Jeremy's mind raced, when she heard this story from her next-door neighbor. The grieving mother's mind raced with the phrase she'd been taught since she was a little girl. The little child shall lead them. And Marie finally was able to go to the little boy Chris and give him a big hug and let him know how much she appreciated what he had done. Christmas had finally arrived in two households once again. I'm tearing up because this time of year, some of you are suffering with loss. I think of all the families who have lost people to COVID. Some of you have relatives right now who are in their last days and hours because of this darn virus. And I know those stories and I know how painful it is. And sometimes we just have to remember that in the midst of all the celebration and the Christmas carols and all of that, that we have people who are grieving in our community. And that community and connection, however remote, can make all the difference in their lives. So stay in touch with each other. This story, a woman pregnant with her first child late in life, she was the first person in the New Testament to announce Christ's coming. And she and her kinswoman, Mary, they looked forward with eagerness to the birth of their children. And there would come a time when both mothers would entrust their children to God. They knew their children were a gift from God. And they also know that they could or knew that they could not protect their children from everything that life had to offer. But they knew that their children were always in God's care. And that was their greatest hope. And it is your hope and mine when, with regard to everyone we love. So this Christmas, let us affirm our faith in the God of Elizabeth and Mary and in their two sons who changed the world as we await the coming of Christ again this Thursday. Let us pray. All loving God, who gave Mary and Elizabeth to each other throughout their lives, 
We ask that you interrupt our isolation on the eve of Christmas as we remember these two women who brought revolutionary sons into the world, knowing that they were in your care. God, send your holy angels to remind us that we are not alone this season. Protect all the amazing people out there whose families don't know how to love them well and protect all those who are grieving right now who have lost loved ones during this terrible season or who are in the midst of losing their loved ones. Help them feel not so alone as we all seek to become better shelter for each other in this world into which you beckon us to welcome the Christ child anew again and again. In Jesus' blessed and holy name, amen.